Welcome to Camp Radio, a podcast production of TN Baptist Camps, the official camps and conference centers of the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. Camp Radio, discussing trends and issues that will encourage ministries and churches in their efforts to impact people for Christ. To learn more about TN Baptist Camps, visit us at tnbaptistcamps.org. Now, today's Camp Radio. Thank you for joining us on our podcast for Camp Radio. My name is Kevin Perrichon, and I will be your host. As youth today struggle with stress and anxiety in their social groups, the need to feel accepted and the deepening of their relationship with Christ is really a necessity. We have with us today Mark Summerall. He is the student pastor at First Baptist Kingsport in Kingsport, Tennessee. Mark, thank you for joining us today. Hi, thank you, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Hey, share with us a little bit just about yourself. So I am about to be 30 next week, and I got married on March 23rd. So my wife, Amy, she's a pastor as well, so that keeps things interesting. Yeah. Um, but we have a dog that I had before, and she chose to adopt. Mm-hmm. He's an Australian shepherd. His name's Caddo, named after a Native American tribe in Arkansas, yeah, where yeah. my college was. And you've been at, you said you've been here at First Baptist for how long? It'll be three years at the end of the month, actually. Memorial Day weekend will be three years. Oh, wow. So, and you've been in really youth ministry for a number of years, correct? Yeah, I had my first um, youth internship actually when I was 17 in Houston, Texas, and I've been doing youth and some college and some young adult stuff kind of on the peripheral for years now. Yeah, so you really have a passion for youth. Yeah, youth, young adults, college, that whole kind of demographic and area really are important, and I think they're the future of our church. Yeah, well, First Baptist is uh, actually—I had never been here before, and it's a neat location— because you're right in the middle of Eastman, basically is encompassing the church almost. But it's a it's a beautiful community uh, and a lot of uh, a lot of lost people in there. Yeah, we are um, an industrial town with Eastman and then Domtar as well, which is a paper company. Both of them bring in people from all across the world and all across the country from different professions as engineers and things. So it brings a lot of demographics here to Kingsport, which creates an interesting dynamic. Right. Well, share with us about what your passion for ministry is. Yeah. So my passion for ministry is for people moving kind of from head to heart in their relationship with Jesus. My life verse, for lack of a better term, is actually Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I say all that because when people begin to realize that God doesn't seek simple knowledge or rogue memorization, but he is looking for full devotion that affects every aspect of your life. It's beautiful. I love getting to see the lights come on for the first time for someone who has grown up in church, but now finally recognizes the depth and complexity of following Jesus. Yeah, and that that is a common problem with really within our own churches, all of our churches across our state, is that we have uh, the uh, churchgoer, the typical believer uh, that uh, comes to church on Sunday morning, or, or they may come be here at every 
uh, door time the doors open, but their relationship with God is really lacking, and they have lost that intimate relationship and what that really means, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I I grew up with that personally. I was I have my baby Bible over there on my bookshelf in my my office right now, and it it reminds me that I was born into the church, and that's really how I felt. But I, for the long time growing up, knew exactly what verse to say, what to do, and how to put on the right front and the right face. Yeah. But it wasn't until some events in my life of moving when I was 15 that really changed how I began to see God in this relationship and the dependence I fully needed on my Savior. Right. It has to be that time that we uh, maybe some sort of event or something that makes that change that we, we do. Like you said, a light bulb goes off. Yeah, it's kind of that first initial spark, that catalyst that propels us forward into beginning to see the dependence and reliance on Jesus, because otherwise it's so easy to get caught up in just being a good church kid. Mm -hmm. And um, nothing wrong with good church kids. They're great people. I was a good church kid. I knew what to say and what to do, like I said. But the problem was, is it needed to move from my head to my heart in a newer, deeper way that began to affect all of me and right. began to affect how I interact with people and how I communicate and what I think about and what I do and really mold into all areas of my life and not just Sundays and Wednesdays kind of thing. Well, youth ministry is a necessity in church, isn't it? I mean, it is so much easier to uh, begin to cultivate uh, that time of, of a new believer and then walking with them side by side in understanding who God really is and how he is really, uh, how, if I say applies, that, that, that doesn't really describe it, but he's all encompassing mm-hmm. in, in a, yeah. within our life. And, and as you get older, it gets harder, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, youth and teenagers are so open to discussing and discovering what is next. They want to figure out how to do this and where to put this and what it means kind of thing. So they're going to ask questions. By the time we get to 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60, it's really tempting for us to just say, this is what I believe. This is what I've always believed. This is how I think about things. This is how I always think about things. And we end up with divisiveness and kind of set in our ways. But a 16-year-old has no idea where they're going right now. They're trying to figure out what they're doing Friday night. And they're trying to figure out when their friend asks them a question about faith or about why they should believe this or why they don't believe this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's that great, like, fertile ground for them to really begin to cultivate truth and growth and development in their life as opposed to when we get older. So youth, I think, are an amped um, ground to really grow and develop the church in the future. Right. Well, now tell me, let's kind of shift gears. Let's... Let's uh, share share with me, where do you see that youth ministry is trending right now? Yeah, so I think youth ministry is kind of trending away from the program-driven atmospheres sought after in previous decades, kind of things I grew up with. Every student in middle school and high school has access to people who will be more entertaining from YouTube, Netflix, anything else, a game on their, de- their phone or device that'll be popular for another month but fade away pretty soon constant advances in social media and whatever comes up next, which is clickbait and interesting. 
Um, so I think the trying to be the coolest thing in town is only going to go so far these days. Right. Exactly. Well, and I have I have uh, two young girls, and my youngest, which is twelve, she's on her uh, phone. Well, of course, a limited time, but you know yeah. she wants to play these different games, and mm-hmm. she'll want she'll say, "Hey, just for a dollar, I can have this new game." I said, "Well, how long will you play? Oh, I'll play it for a while. Well, <laughs> you know, in about a month, she's." She's done with it. Oh, yeah. And you've wasted a dollar, and mm-hmm. she's looking for the next best thing. And so, yeah, youth are, are – they. I, I don't know if our society is programming our youth to just kind of go from one thing to the next or what exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think with it, our youth and um, teenagers and next generation with Gen Z – are so used to instantaneous gratification that their cell phones and devices program it into you. That's why you end up with ghost vibrations when you're got your phone and you check it and you're like, wait, I'm supposed to get a notification. I felt it, but you didn't. And studies have shown that that actually is happening and that's trending in that direction. Well, with that too, we also have to deal with the fact that everything's instant. Youth don't read an article. They're going to skim a blog post. They're not going to read a book. They're going to look through the footnotes and see or through the table of contents and see what's in it. And then that's just going to kind of define it. They want it quickly. They want it easily. And they're going to move on to the next thing, the next things that's entertaining, the next thing that's interesting or whatever. And they're used to information at an immediate pace and games and gratification at an immediate pace as well. So how do we deal with this? Yeah, I think we, as opposed to trying to fight and combat and say, hey, we're going to be the best in town, I think we've got to change our shift within the church. I think we need a shift and give something that the world is not. And I think that is done through relational ministry is the must in the future. I mean, growing up, it was fun to pull kids off the street by a fun activity or big event. And that model still worked with discipleship because youth had a framework regarding the Bible and in Christianity and Jesus. But research um, shows that Gen Z is kind of post-Christian and no longer with a background in kind of church speak, so to say. This doesn't mean students aren't open to faith, but it means that we have to present it in a relational way. We can't assume that they know who Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is because they just don't. And that gives a lot of actual positive ability because now we can come in and we can show, okay, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're important, not because it's just a story you learn when you're six years old, but it's because of God interacting with them in this fiery furnace, which is a beautiful model that unfortunately a lot of times we don't see until we're a lot older in life and we've memorized this story and can easily breeze past it. And sometimes we have to read slower with text because we're so familiar with it. We have a brand new slate, a brand new framework And if we're engaging into the lives of students and really showing them this relationship with who God is by how we are relating with them, then that's going to change how ministry is done. Do you find that youth are really starving for that relationship? I think they are starving for attention and relationships in every way. I tell people all the time, it does not matter how old you are, you can work with youth. And the reason I say that is because if you sit there and you engage with a student and you listen to them and you listen to what they're dealing with, what they're going through, maybe for the first time they're hurt. They're so used to being talked at. They're talked at at school. They're talked at in sports. They're talked at in clubs. 
And unfortunately, a lot of times they're talked at even at home. And if we're sitting there and we just lend an ear and lend an interest into what is going on in their lives, maybe that's learning what Minecraft is and you don't have to be good at it. You don't even have to play it. But if you just ask them questions about it, you can build that relationship and that builds a bridge into a student's life so that they can move forward into beginning to discuss real things. Because then when they have questions, they're going to come to you. They're going to ask you the hard things whenever a friend commits suicide or a um, friend struggling with their sexuality or different things like that that they're dealing with on a daily basis in their world. But now they have someone who has listened to them as opposed to spoken at them. So if if we have a parent that's listening to this right now, and so they, they are hearing this and they have a, a teenager and they're thinking, what, what can I do? What can I do to help my child? What advice would you give? Yeah, so I would be the first to say the parent is the most influential spiritual individual in a student's life. And that's for positive or negative. Mm -hmm. If a parent is against scripture, then that's going to negatively impact the youth. They can overcome it because God is a miraculous God and works through people still. Mm -hmm. Um, If they're a positive influence, they're going to do that. One, the first thing I would tell a parent is live your life for Christ in front of your your child. Mm -hmm. It's a great thing for them to hear about you going to church or hear about you reading your Bible or hear about you um, praying. But maybe it's time to pull them in and say, hey, what can I be praying for you about? Mm. Hey, what are you reading in scripture and what can we discuss about it? What do you have questions with? And then also what I would say is let your kids speak. And as a parent, you've got to be open 24 hours because it might be bedtime for you, but they might be awake and ready to talk finally. And it's really tempting for us to just kind of push it aside and be like, okay, I'll talk about it later. Well, your, your kid might not be ready to talk about it tomorrow, right. but they're ready to talk about it at 1130 at night. Or you're trying to deal with something at work right now as you're driving them to soccer practice, but they're trying to tell you about your day. Mm-hmm. And we've got to be present in their lives. And I know that sounds redundant and sounds like something we're doing, but sometimes it's just listening and giving them the space and freedom to speak. Right. And that will open up doors that we never imagined could be opened. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I, I definitely agree. My, some of my best conversations with my girls are at night. And, you know, they wanted to ask questions. Of course, it's, it's bedtime then. <laughs> but, you know, we'll just they'll ask some deep questions. They'll talk about some spiritual things. They'll talk about their prayers. And, and so I love it. Mm-hmm. You know, as a parent, I, I crave be able to have that discussion with my child to help them to lead them Mm -hmm. and answer those questions that they they know i'm available for them i'm not uh you know far away but i'm there so yeah i can definitely see how that is the big influence and i think a lot of parents have this misconception that it's the responsibility of the church to take Mm -hmm. care of my child and teach yeah oh yeah and i mean i think that's a easy misconception to kind of pawn it off on the church or even pawn off morality and have my child be taught morality and sexual ethics or um, different topics by the church. So then they don't have to deal with it. Well, the ownership really needs to first be on the parents and then the church comes alongside and helps wherever we can. And there, unfortunately, there are kids whose parents are not teaching those things or teaching the opposite of what we believe as Christians. And we have to deal with that as well. Right. Um, And if you can get your child to understand the complexity of the gospel, but also 
really begin to see that it's this relationship. And that's why we live the way we, we do. Not right. because mom and dad say it, but because this is how God desires for us to live. Hmm. And we do this out of a response of love for him. Yeah, I like I like how you said that. It, it's it was it's not that the child is uh, following the necessarily the example of their children or their parents and saying, well, this is what we uh, grew up doing. Is that they totally understand that their parents do what they do and teach them because God first of all leads them, mm-hmm. and it's because their relationship with Christ that that really dictates what not just their parents but all, their whole the whole family. Yeah, there's a kind of big $5 word of called moralistic therapeutic deism, which was really popular talking about. And what it's basically saying is that at one point the church was just teaching, hey, obey these things, obey these things, obey these things, obey these things. Oh, and there's God. Hmm. And what we have to be careful about is saying, hey, we're not just giving them more rules to obey or things to follow or a checklist to do, but we're introducing them into a relationship with a God who loves and cares for them and wants best for their life. And beginning to make that shift and that transition is really going to help in the grand scheme of things with youth ministry, I think. Yeah, that's good. Well, now share with me about about what God's doing here in your ministry. Uh, the way you worded it, you put it originally as like successful on the piece of paper that you emailed me. And I don't really love that word. (laughs) Um, But... I do want to say that the thing that I enjoy and the thing that I see as great is that students are desiring to know how God impacts their lives and that students are really seeking out how the Bible intersects with these different real questions in their lives. So we're doing some things different here. We are focusing on scripture and really seeking out truth. My students don't want just watered down talks or lessons that are fluff because what's the point of coming? Because like we said earlier, hey, I'm probably not the coolest town person in town. There's going to be more things interesting on YouTube or Netflix, and I don't blame them because they are more interesting than me. But with it, it's, hey, if I'm coming, I want to seek truth and I want to seek how to deal with these real things. Hmm. So, I mean, this summer we're even starting a new kind of model for small groups and giving them the freedom to choose. So most adults, we grow up and we go to church, and when we're adult, we sit there and we'll pick a small group by what people we interact with well or what topics they're discussing. And a lot of times with youth, we tell them, nope, you need to be here in this grade with this group, with this person, and you have no option. So what we're doing is we're looking at, okay, what leaders can connect with different students depending on characteristics, because that's part of it. But then also, what are they interested in? So... We have somebody who's going to be teaching over the case for Christ and really defending faith and looking at the deep, hard questions of, is Christianity real? Is the Bible true? Mm -hmm. Um, We have people who are going to be kind of looking at practical implications of faith. How does what the Bible say put into real life? And that's kind of based off of, can I ask that by Jim Candy and Brad Griffin, which is a great book. Mm -hmm. Um, Questions to All Your Answers by Roger Olson and kind of Red Letter Revolution by Tony Campolo and Shane Claiborne, which are all three phenomenal books that I'd recommend for anybody. And then kind of the final thing that we're looking at too is, 
what are the differences in religion and denominations? And why do we follow Christianity? Do we follow Christianity just because I was born in America and my parents took me to church when I was two years old? Or do we follow Christianity because of the truth? Mm -hmm. And beginning to look at what are the differences and why do we deal with that? But also even what are denominational differences? Mm -hmm. Um, Because students have friends who are Methodist, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Seventh-day Adventist, all these different things and beginning to figure out, well, what is true and what is not? Why do they believe this? Why do we believe that? Mm -hmm. And beginning to see, okay, what could be common ground and what maybe theologically is different that we need to hold to and hold tighter to. Yeah. Well, what you're setting sounds like you're seeing this foundation for them to to, to really deal with basic uh, questions that a lot of times the church doesn't really answer. And Mm -hmm. so as they go out into the world and, and they get questioned by lost peers then they have some sort of answers that they've already kind of wrestled with, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So what we want is we want to give them the opportunity in a safe space to answer questions, deal with issues, and begin to really kind of figure out things here with an environment where they can ask the hard questions. And they're not just going to get talked at, but they're going to discuss this and work through it because that's part of the process is them beginning to figure out why I believe this and not just, oh, mom and dad told me this or Mark told me this or anything like that. Um, Often when my students ask me a question, they're pretty used to me asking them a question and responding with that because otherwise it's just what I think. And I want them to begin to figure out how to think. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want for them because otherwise they go to college and studies show probably half of them are gone. And that's just unfortunately part of it. But if we can build that foundation like you're talking about and let them wrestle with the questions ahead of time, begin to discover what they believe and why as an individual, as they're growing up, developing their own thoughts and their own feelings and their own emotions and discovering what it means to be a Christian, I think sets them up for the future. Right. Now, you're doing this in the summertime in small groups. Mm -hmm. Why did you choose to do small groups? Yeah. So we um, very much believe in discussion here. So every person has a voice. So we don't want to do it in a large group. I mean, yeah, I would love to teach on all of those different topics and it'd be a lot of fun. But if you have a group of 50 people and somebody has a question, well, for one, a lot of people aren't going to ask that question in front of the 50 group. But also, it's just hard to navigate. It's easier to find volunteers that we can trust and empower and allow them to get the resources they need to move forward. And that means sometimes more front-end work on myself, but it also means that the volunteers take over and can begin to work and develop and be part of the students' lives. But it's relational ministry, like we got back to earlier. Um, It's not just another program where we're hoping that the kid hears it, but a group of 10 where somebody can ask a real question or a difficult question or make a statement of lack of belief. I mean, one of the coolest things I actually deal with is when a student says, you know, I've grown up in church but I don't know if I believe this. Mm. And maybe that's not supposed to happen, but that wrestling and them still being present means they want to believe, and now it's helped my unbelief. Well, so uh, share with me a little bit about what your biggest struggle is uh, in, in a difficulty in just 
trying to meet those needs of youth? Yeah. I mean, the biggest, most difficult thing in students' lives is kind of a trying to help them release and get freedom from anxiety, stress, and depression. I mean, it is so rampant right now in our culture. This can come from a constant comparison on social media. I mean, it's interesting that I often hear students prefer Visco over Instagram. And I actually read an article by PC Mag um, this week that Instagram might get rid of likes on it. Really? Because this comparison, even social media is recognizing that it's problematic and some people don't want to be on it because if they're on it, they're stressing and more anxious or things like that. So Visco recognized that probably five years ago or whenever it got popular and kind of initially, and it has never done the likes. And they are now growing in popularity slowly, but it's happening. It's kind of the next future app, I think. Mm. And Instagram is probably, unfortunately, to Facebook, maybe trying to hold on to their dominant power. But you have all these likes and comparison between individuals. Mm. And that just creates this kind of cookie cutter, beautiful life. But that creates so much pressure. And it's not just social media. I mean, you have social media, but you have cyberbullying. You have just straight stress and anxiety. Different groups like the Barna Group and things like that have talked about how youth in America are the most stressed and anxious people in the whole world, which is unbelievable to think about. But it's having pressures with school, with clubs, with organizations, with sports, with making sure you get enough volunteer service and everything. Well, and and I'm glad you brought up volunteers. I wanted to ask you about that. I know that in with small groups uh, that you, you you have to have uh, the right amount of volunteers and dedicated ones, right? Mm-hmm. Do you have a problem getting volunteers? Yeah. I mean, sometimes, first off, I want us to say we have the best and amazing volunteers, and I'll challenge anybody's volunteers because yeah. we have people who've been in this youth ministry for decades and have right. given their lives to students um, who are now off with teenagers of themselves. Mm-hmm which is a beautiful image and a beautiful picture for the church. Um, But, I mean, one thing we deal with is sometimes you have the same kind of people who are stepping up. And that can always become problematic if the same people are stepping up because we need other people. I believe the church is a body and we need different groups so that we can work together and really minister to every need and every person possible. But our ministry couldn't exist without them. Like we need them for small groups. We need them for different camps or different mission trips or different um, retreats that we do that are essential to our ministry too. Yeah. Now your students, I'm sure are like all students are very busy. Mm -hmm. They're involved in (laughs) sports and, and band and you name it, all Mm -hmm. kinds of clubs and stuff. So do you find it very difficult to do any kind of planning, any kind of events or things like that? Yeah. So one thing that we do deal with is, well, students don't want to sign up until the very last second or two weeks after and text me at 12 o'clock at night begging me to, hey, I got your number from this person. I really want to still go. I know I didn't sign up. And I mean, you deal with that. Right. Um, One thing that we've done for our winter retreat in particular is we've set it on a weekend in December and it just happens. And I'll have students choose to not take the ACT that weekend Mm -hmm. or go ahead and talk to their basketball coach two months in advance and say, Hey, I'm going to be there because it's important to them. And it's really cool to see that, okay, finally the church is winning out in the fact that, Hey, this is important because I see it as beneficial in my life. And this basketball game, I'll go to it 
But as soon as it's over, coach, I'm leaving. Mom and dad are taking me. Um, I'm not riding on the bus home kind of thing. And that's a big win, I think, for us is for them to begin to recognize that. But you still, of course, always have that and you're always competing with that. But it's just beginning to look at creative ways and trying to plan as best as you can to not conflict and knowing at a certain point, oh, well, I didn't plan for it to, but now orchestra added a concert on that night and are we going to deal with it or not? Now, as a minister, what what is your biggest struggle, the thing that you deal with personally as a minister? Yeah, I would say um, kind of my biggest challenge, other than being a youth minister who doesn't do any caffeine, which is pretty rare, I (laughs) think. um, I think my biggest thing is I wish that I could have a deep connection with every student, volunteer, member of my church. But the thing in, in reality, it's not plausible or even healthy for me to do that. Right. Um, I need to be better about kind of continuously empowering volunteers to step into the lives of students on a daily basis and not trying to run the show myself. Um, I reg- I try to do this, but it's often tempting to get in my head and not trust that process or the others and want to micromanage or want to step into it. But I had a good mentor regularly tell me, um, you should continuously be working yourself out of a ministry job, right. which yeah. kind of really impacted me. Right. Yeah. So I, I believe fully and wholeheartedly in the church and I want to empower these people to do the best possible thing for God's kingdom. Yeah. Now, does it make an impact on a church or your group and or your group if you take them away out of their just a common routine and take them overnight somewhere else, does that make an impact on them? Oh, yeah, I think it definitely does. Um, I think taking students away from their kind of regular routine is necessary. Mm. Um, These moments allow for kind of incredible moments in the students' lives. They get away from the norm, and they get to invite students. We get to invite students to regain their focus and regain what's happening. Um, I mean, we're competing against those things like sports and clubs and friends and phones and everything. But in the end, students taking a retreat, going on a mission trip or whatever else to get them away kind of reengages their faith. And it fixes times for students to have a daily study of scripture, a daily prayer time. We have an event where we do a prayer walk and it's an hour long and it's on our winter retreat actually and it's super cold. Yeah. But in the end, students love it. And if I asked them to do it here, they'd probably think I was crazy and yeah. I'm like, finally he lost it. But right. on that time and in that space, they're very amped to try to grow that faith and develop it so that then when they come home, it's stronger and prepared for what is to come. Yeah. Well, Mark, thank you for sharing with us the, the really the importance of teaching students how to cope with the stresses of just life, um, and especially by first understanding who Jesus is. Uh, also, thank you to our listening audience to our podcast today. We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions for Mark or what we do at TM Baptist Camps, please send us an email at ccinfo at tmbaptist.org. Until next time. I hope that you'll look for opportunities to start a conversation about Christ with someone you know. Thanks for listening to Camp Radio, a podcast production of TN Baptist Camps, the official camps and conference centers of the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. This and other episodes can be downloaded from tnbaptistcamps.org. The ministries of Carson Springs and Linden Valley are supported through the cooperative program and gifts received through the Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions. For more information, 
visit tnbaptistcamps.org.